Chapter Three of Cranford by Elizabeth Gaskell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian. A love affair of long ago. I thought that probably my connection with Cranford would cease after Miss Jenkins's death, at least that it would have to be kept up by correspondence which bears much the same relation to personal intercourse that the books of dried plants I sometimes see, hortus siccus, I think they call the thing, do to the living and fresh flowers in the lanes and meadows. I was pleasantly surprised, therefore, by receiving a letter from Miss Pole, who had always come in for a supplementary week after my annual visit to Miss Jenkins, proposing that I should go and stay with her and then in a couple of days after my acceptance came a note from miss matty in which in a rather circuitous and very humble manner she told me how much pleasure i should confer if i could spend a week or two with her either before or after i had been at miss pole's for she said since my dear sister's death i am well aware i have no attractions to offer it is only to the kindness of my friends that I can owe their company. Of course I promised to come to dear Miss Matty as soon as I had ended my visit to Miss Pole, and the day after my arrival at Cranford I went to see her, much wondering what the house would be like without Miss Jenkins, and rather dreading the changed aspect of things. Miss Matty began to cry as soon as she saw me. She was evidently nervous from having anticipated my call. I comforted her as well as I could, and I found the best consolation I could give was the honest praise that came from my heart as I spoke of the deceased. Miss Matty slowly shook her head over each virtue as it was named and attributed to her sister, and at last she could not restrain the tears which had long been silently flowing, but hid her face behind her handkerchief and sobbed aloud. Dear Miss Matty, said I, taking her hand, for indeed I did not know in what way to tell her how sorry I was for her, left deserted in the world. She put down her handkerchief and said, My dear, I'd rather you did not call me Matty. She did not like it. But I did many a thing she did not like, I'm afraid, and now she's gone. If you please, my love, will you call me Matilda? I promised faithfully, and began to practice the new name with Miss Pole that very day, and, by degrees, Miss Matilda's feelings on the subject was known through Cranford, and we all tried to drop the more familiar name, but with so little success that by and by we gave up the attempt. My visit to Miss Pole was very quiet. Miss Jenkins had so long taken the lead in Cranford that, now she was gone, they hardly knew how to give a party. The Honourable Mrs. Jameson, to whom Miss Jenkins herself had always yielded the post of honour, was fat and inert, and very much at the mercy of her old servants. If they chose that she should give a party, they reminded her of the necessity for so doing. If not, she let it alone. There was all the more time for me to hear old-world stories from Miss Pole while she sat knitting, and I making my father's shirts. I always took a quantity of plain sewing to Cranford, 
for as we did not read much or walk much i found it a capital time to get through my work one of miss pole's stories related to a shadow of a love affair that was dimly perceived or suspected long years before presently the time arrived when i was to remove to miss matilda's house i found her timid and anxious about the arrangements for my comfort many a time while i was unpacking did she come backwards and forwards to stir the fire which burned all the worse for being so frequently poked have you drawers enough dear asked she i don't know exactly how my sister used to arrange them she had capital methods i am sure she would have trained a servant in a week to make a better fire than this and fanny has been with me four months this subject of servants was a standing grievance and i could not wonder much at it for if gentlemen were scarce and almost unheard of in the genteel society of cranford they or their counterparts handsome young men abounded in the lower classes the pretty neat servant-maids had their choice of desirable followers and their mistresses without having the sort of mysterious dread of men and matrimony that miss matilda had might well feel a little anxious lest the heads of their comely maids should be turned by the joiner or the butcher or the gardener who were obliged by their callings to come to the house and who as ill luck would have it were generally handsome and unmarried fanny's lovers if she had any and miss matilda suspected her of so many flirtations that if she had not been very pretty i should have doubted her having one were a constant anxiety to her mistress she was forbidden by the articles of her engagement to have followers and though she had answered innocently enough doubling up the hem of her apron as she spoke please ma'am i never had more than one at a time miss matty prohibited that one but a vision of a man seemed to haunt the kitchen fanny assured me that it was all fancy or else i should have said myself that i had seen a man's coat-tails whisk into the scullery once when i went on an errand into the storeroom at night and another evening when our watches having stopped i went to look at the clock there was a very odd appearance singularly like a young man squeezed up between the clock and the back of the open kitchen door and i thought fanny snatched up the candle very hastily so as to throw the shadow on the clock face while she very positively told me the time half an hour too early as we found out afterwards by the church clock but i did not add to miss matty's anxieties by naming my suspicions especially as fanny said to me the next day that it was such a queer kitchen for having odd shadows about it she really was almost afraid to stay for you know miss she added i don't see a creature from six o'clock tea till missus rings the bell for prayers at ten however it so fell out that fanny had to leave and miss matilda begged me to stay and settle her with the new maid to which i consented after i had heard from my father that he did not want me at home the new servant was a rough honest-looking country girl who had only lived in a farm place before but i liked her looks when she came to be hired and i promised miss matilda to put her in the ways of the house 
the said ways were religiously such as miss matilda thought her sister would approve many a domestic rule and regulation had been a subject of plaintive whispered murmurs to me during miss jenkins's life but now that she was gone i do not think that even i who was a favourite durst have suggested an alteration to give an instance we constantly adhered to the forms which were observed at meal-times in my father the rector's house accordingly we had always wine and dessert but the decanters were only filled when there was a party and what remained was seldom touched though we had two wine-glasses apiece every day after dinner until the next festive occasion arrived when the state of the remainder wine was examined into a family council the dregs were often given to the poor but occasionally when a good deal had been left at the last party five months ago it might be it was added to some of a fresh bottle brought up from the cellar i fancy poor captain brown did not much like wine for i noticed he never finished his first glass and most military men take several then as to our dessert miss jenkins used to gather currants and gooseberries for it herself which i sometimes thought would have tasted better fresh from the trees but then as miss jenkins observed they would have been nothing for dessert in summer time as it was we felt very genteel with our two glasses apiece and a dish of gooseberries at the top of currants and biscuits at the sides and two decanters at the bottom when oranges came in a curious proceeding was gone through miss jenkins did not like to cut the fruit for as she observed the juice all ran out nobody knew where sucking only i think she used some more recondite word was in fact the only way of enjoying oranges but then there was the unpleasant association with a ceremony frequently gone through by little babies and so after dessert in orange season miss jenkins and miss matty used to rise up possess themselves each of an orange in silence and withdraw to the privacy of their own rooms to indulge in sucking oranges i had once or twice tried on such occasions to prevail on miss matty to stay and had succeeded in her sister's lifetime i held up a screen and did not look and as she said she tried not to make the noise very offensive but now that she was left alone she seemed quite horrified when i begged her to remain with me in the warm dining parlour and enjoy her orange as she liked best and so it was in everything miss jenkins's rules were made more stringent than ever because the framer of them was gone where there could be no appeal in all things else miss matilda was meek and undecided to a fault i have heard fanny turn her round twenty times in the morning about dinner just as the little hussy chose and i sometimes fancied she worked on miss matilda's weakness in order to bewilder her and to make her feel more in the power of her clever servant i determined that i would not leave her till i had seen what sort of a person martha was and if i found her trustworthy i would tell her not to trouble her mistress with every little decision martha was blunt and plain-spoken to a fault otherwise she was a brisk well-meaning but very ignorant girl she had not been with us a week before miss matilda and i were astounded one morning 
by the receipt of a letter from a cousin of hers who had been twenty or thirty years in india and who had lately as we had seen by the army list returned to england bringing with him an invalid wife who had never been introduced to her english relations major jenkins wrote to propose that he and his wife should spend a night at cranford on his way to scotland at the inn if it did not suit miss matilda to receive them into her house in which case they should hope to be with her as much as possible during the day of course it must suit her as she said for all cranford knew that she had her sister's bedroom at liberty but i am sure she wished the major had stopped in india and forgotten his cousins out and out oh how must i manage asked she helplessly if deborah had been alive she would have known what to do with a gentleman visitor must i put razors in his dressing-room dear dear and i've got none deborah would have had them and slippers and coat-brushes i suggested that probably he would bring all these things with him and after dinner how am i to know when to get up and leave him to his wine deborah would have done it so well she would have been quite in her element will he want coffee do you think i undertook the management of the coffee and told her i would instruct martha in the art of waiting in which it must be owned she was terribly deficient and that i had no doubt major and mrs jenkins would understand the quiet mode in which a lady lived by herself in a country town but she was sadly fluttered i made her empty her decanters and bring up two fresh bottles of wine i wish i could have prevented her from being present at my instructions to martha for she frequently cut in with some fresh direction muddling the poor girl's mind as she stood open-mouthed listening to us both hand the vegetables round said i foolishly i see now for it was aiming at more than we could accomplish with quietness and simplicity and then seeing her look bewildered i added take the vegetables round to people and let them help themselves and mind you go first to the ladies put in miss matilda always go to the ladies before gentlemen when you are waiting i'll do it as you tell me ma'am said martha but i like lads best we felt very uncomfortable and shocked at this speech of martha's yet i don't think she meant any harm and on the whole she attended very well to our directions except that she nudged the major when he did not help himself as soon as she expected to the potatoes while she was handing them round the major and his wife were quiet unpretending people enough when they did come languid as all east indians are i suppose we were rather dismayed at their bringing two servants with them a hindu body-servant for the major and a steady elderly maid for his wife but they slept at the inn and took off a good deal of the responsibility by attending carefully to their master's and mistress's comfort martha to be sure had never ended her staring at the east indian's white turban and browned complexion and i saw that miss matilda shrank away from him a little as he waited at dinner indeed she asked me when they were gone if he did not remind me of bluebeard on the whole the visit was most satisfactory and is a subject of conversation even now with miss matilda 
at the time it greatly excited cranford and even stirred up the apathetic and honourable mrs jameson to some expression of interest when i went to call and thank her for the kind answers she had vouchsafed to miss matilda's inquiries as to the arrangement of a gentleman's dressing-room answers which i must confess she had given in the wearied manner of the scandinavian prophetess leave me leave me to repose and now i come to the love affair it seems that miss pole had a cousin once or twice removed who had offered to miss matty long ago now this cousin lived four or five miles from cranford on his own estate but his property was not large enough to entitle him to rank higher than a yeoman or rather with something of the pride which apes humility he had refused to push himself on as so many of his class had done into the ranks of the squires he would not allow himself to be called thomas holbrook esq he even sent back letters with this address telling the postmistress at cranford that his name was mr thomas holbrook yeoman he rejected all domestic innovations he would have the house door stand open in summer and shut in winter without knocker or bell to summon a servant the closed fist or the knob of the stick did this office for him if he found the door locked he despised every refinement which had not its root deep down in humanity if people were not ill he saw no necessity for moderating his voice he spoke the dialect of the country in perfection and constantly used it in conversation although miss pole who gave me these particulars added that he read aloud more beautifully and with more feeling than any one she had ever heard except the late rector and how came miss matilda not to marry him asked i oh i don't know she was willing enough i think but you know cousin thomas would not have been enough of a gentleman for the rector and miss jenkins well but they were not to marry him said i impatiently no but they did not like miss matty to marry below her rank you know she was the rector's daughter and somehow they are related to sir peter arley miss jenkins thought a deal of that poor miss matty said i nay now i don't know anything more than that he offered and was refused miss matty might not like him and miss jenkins might never have said a word it is only a guess of mine has she never seen him since i inquired no i think not you see woodley cousin thomas's house lies halfway between cranford and mistleton and i know he made mistleton his market town very soon after he had offered to miss matty and i don't think he has been into cranford above once or twice since once when i was walking with miss matty in high street and suddenly she darted from me and went up shire lane a few minutes after i was startled by meeting cousin thomas how old is he i asked after a pause of castle building he must be about seventy i think my dear said miss pole blowing up my castle as if by gunpowder into small fragments very soon after at least during my long visit to miss matilda i had the opportunity of seeing mr holbrook seeing too his first encounter with his former love 
after thirty or forty years separation i was helping to decide whether any of the new assortment of coloured silks which they had just received at the shop would do to match a grey and black mousseline de laine that wanted a new breath when a tall thin don quixote looking old man came into the shop for some woollen gloves i had never seen the person who was rather striking before and i watched him rather attentively while miss matty listened to the shopman the stranger wore a blue coat with brass buttons drab breeches and gaiters and drummed with his fingers on the counter until he was attended to when he answered the shop-boy's question what can i have the pleasure of showing you to-day sir i saw miss matilda start and then suddenly sit down and instantly i guessed who it was she had made some inquiry which had to be carried round to the other shopman miss jenkins wants the black sarsnet two and twopence the yard and mr holbrook had caught the name and was across the shop in two strides matty miss matilda miss jenkins god bless my soul i would not have known you how are you how are you he kept shaking her hand in a way which proved the warmth of his friendship but he repeated so often as if to himself i should not have known you that any sentimental romance which i might be inclined to build was quite done away with by his manner however he kept talking to us all the time we were in the shop and then waving the shopman with the unpurchased gloves on one side with another time sir another time he walked home with us i am happy to say my client miss matilda also left the shop in an equally bewildered state not having purchased either green or red silk mr holbrook was evidently full with honest loud-spoken joy at meeting his old love again he touched on the changes that had taken place he even spoke of miss jenkins as your poor sister well well we have all our faults and bade us good-bye with many a hope that he should soon see miss matty again she went straight to her room and never came back till our early tea-time when i thought she looked as if she had been crying End of chapter three